week it is Mr. John B. Nustins. Hello. 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 How are you doing? <clears throat> I am well. Good, and you can hear me fine, correct? I can. I have put you on speaker so that uh, my entire staff can hear you. Your entire staff being how many cats? Um, oddly, we don't have any cats. So we have one dog. We used to have nine cats, but now we only just have one dog. Okay. We pushed all the cats together into one dog, basically. That, that's a good trade. Yes. So, so uh, is, She's a rescue named Princess. <laughs> I think all they all have names of, like, Princess, Prince, uh, like, Chief, stuff like that when they're rescues. Yes. I, I understand it. Uh, she lives up to her name, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> she well, is very finicky. <laughs> uh, first off, I'd like to thank you for uh, agreeing to be on what could be the worst pos- worst podcast that you've ever been on. Uh, just wanted to <laughs> give, give you that out. Uh, name of To let everybody know, top of the podcast, this is Broken Thoughts. Anything goes... Um, the only rules are of this podcast, no hate speech, nothing that can incriminate me, and you cannot give out any cheat codes to video games. Okay. Uh, and I think, that's, I think that's a valid thing, because nowadays all video games have their cheat codes, you can go online, download them, whatever. Um, I just don't want anybody to dig up their NES and find out that they can get their unlimited lives on Contra. They can figure that out on their own. Yeah, let them do the work. Exactly. Uh, so, I mean, unless you really want help, then maybe I can go do a podcast down the road about how to beat Contra using the track and field pad. But that's a whole other thing. I don't know. I haven't known any cheat codes since we were playing uh, Doom with our computers landed together. Oh, wow. Yes, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah. That, I could see that. Well, wow, that. That makes me feel old, and I didn't do that even. So, um, I I think I I played Doom, but it was we at least had the uh, internet. We had an Ethernet, you know. So, wow. Yes, when those uh, when those video game things come up, say, "What was your first uh, video game console?" And I have to say, it was a Radio Shack Pong game. Did it, was it the one that looked like the old? Like a uh, military CB radio that had the two dials on it. Indeed. The one dial gave you four different game choices. It was regular Pong, then double Pong, where you had two, uh, pa- two uh, I guess, ping pong paddle representatives. Yes. Then, like, like speed up or, or super slow, something like that. But there were four different games, and boy, was that, uh, that was living. That, did your... Your Radio Shack version come with the set with the gun for another game? No, this is the... Okay. <laughs> we couldn't afford the gun. Okay. Well, I'm just saying, because we, we, had, we had the gun. So, ah. um, I don't know. I, I think I think it was an open box special or something. I don't know. That's how we got it. But um, it's amazing that you said that, because that was like my first... I wanted a Nintendo, and then I got the Atari... Um, because they just thought it was the same thing. So right, but, yeah, I, we we didn't get the Atari. I got an Atari four hundred, so it was uh, a little bit more advanced than the regular Atari, but it had like eleven games, and all of them pretty dull. 
Yeah, but you loved it back in the day. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not oh. saying that I wasn't on it like 24-7. I'm just saying that uh, in comparison to some other systems, uh, when I, I used to go and house sit for my friend back in high school, and he had the uh, NES, and that was just, uh, yes, you can, you can stay away as long as you like. I'll just be here with this. Right. I, <laughs> it's funny you say that. Yeah. Um, I so I'm going to backtrack before we get into continue on. I am currently talking to uh, John, air quotes, Bean, air quotes. I guess that's how you, everywhere I found it on the internet, it's just that Bean is yeah. quoted out. Uh, Hastings, yeah. uh, comic book, uh, Disney file, um, artist, nerd, writer. Um, what? I mean, you have so many different titles. Um, I do. I, I'm not good at any one thing, so I try to do a lot of things and kind of be okay at all of them. I, I think you, you sell yourself short on that, because you are better than most people. It's just, you're kind of the same boat. I Like, I'm great at a lot of things, but there's so many people that are, like, better than me, but I'm still better than most people. So I like to say that I am good enough to be an annoyance to myself and others. I, I like that. I, I think that's, or you ha, you're good enough where people respect what you do, but you're not good enough to make the millions. Exactly. Yeah, that, I'm in the same. I don't, mo- I don't have the ego for that. <laughs> well, you can pretend, you know. Yes. So, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's. Uh, I was back to what you're talking about. The Nintendo. I think. I, my situation was that I lived out of school district, so I'd go to someone's house after school, um, and, and my, you know, so I could go to the the better of the schools in the area, and they had a Nintendo, um, the original NES, and they, they were the family that had every game, uh, and so I would sit there every day after school and play, you know, I would, it was like, what game am I beating today? Uh, just because after a while, it just became where I had played so many of them that, you know, you only can play, uh, you know, Duck Hunt so many times before you know exactly where to shoot. You know, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, the only times you can, you know, then you can dig into, like, the really bizarre games that nobody even plays anymore, um, such as Rygar. Um, uh, geez, like, you get into, like, the 1942 and then the, you know, 1943 games where... You know, those kind of things just, you're just kind of like, okay, what am I doing? Um, and right. at that point, you just go outside and play. But Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a certain point where, well, I'm currently addicted to Fallout 3 again and uh, I'm doing all the quests and I have to, you know, pry myself away from it. I, okay, how many super mutants can I shoot in one day? Uh, so let's, uh, let's back off of that for a bit and actually do some work around here. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, you know, give yourself a, you know, hey, if I, I, I get a dessert if I shoot 150 super mutants in a half an hour. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a running gun guy, though. I am sneak around and pick them off from a distance. I am the turn on the uh, invisible suit thing so that I can sneak up. And my favorite thing to do is put hand grenades in people's pockets and just watch them go, what, what the, what, and then blow up. Yeah, that's that's being sneaky is always the best in video games. Yes. Um, unless you're like racing a car, then you can't really be sneaky. But 
for, for the any kind of any game that includes shooting people being sneaky always works because there's uh, always that one <laughs> one person that's just bouncing off walls or shooting the floor or ceiling and ceiling and um, yeah those I are have to ones. I have to tell you my favorites uh, so I mentioned uh, hooking all our computers together back in the day and playing Doom my favorite kill of all time was my one friend was standing in the middle of a room. My other friend was running around in a circle trying to shoot him with his shotgun. And I hit my friend who was standing still with the rocket launcher, blowing him up, and the splash damage took out my other friend. And that was the best because it was, I wasn't expecting to get them both. And the one was just annoying the other. And then I just stopped all of that nonsense with a nice, nicely launched missile. Those perfectly timed missiles are always the best. I mean, even if it's just by accident, you still have to go, well, that turned out better than I thought. Uh, yeah. So, well, let's move on from video games for a second, because I'd like to know, like, you know, being, you know, as I was reading up on, you know, who you are, and I'm not going to dive down, you know, the, the huge rabbit hole, but um, you are, uh, I believe, a fighting slug. Is that what it is? Um, uh, a fighting banana slug. Yes. Uh, I went to UP Santa Cruz, um, and it was it was one of those things where I was looking at a few different colleges, then I came down here to Santa Cruz to take a look at UCSC, and uh, there happened to be a, a kid who was going there who was on, I think, Misfits of Science, so I saw like a random celebrity on campus, and then there was an inverted wing airplane that flew over the campus at one point. Then we went down to the beach and watched the sunset. And I'm like, okay, I'm going here. This is weird and strange. Uh, to the point where our town for a while has t-shirts that said, keep Santa Cruz weird. And yeah. it kind of fit in pretty well with that that vibe. Yeah. And of course, it being called the banana slugs. How can you resist a mascot that's called the banana slug? Yeah, I had never heard of the banana slug. Like, I've always been, like, there's a, I think it's somewhere in, one of the Carolinas has uh, fighting bananas. Um, ah. and that's a minor league baseball team. Um, I always thought that was, you know, great. Um, you know, and you get the otter in the, you know, like, um, there's a, the Oregon Ducks. yeah, Oregon Ducks. There's a, a Bemidji State in Minnesota is the Beavers. Um, right. You know, there's all these different ones that I've always been a fan of, like the weird named ones, but I've never heard of the banana slugs. Now, I'm, coincidentally, now I need a banana slug t-shirt. Um, so I'm gonna now I'm gonna tell a banana slug T-shirt story. Of okay. course, since I I had the banana slug T-shirt, um, and also am involved with the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. It's been around since 1984. Great place to go visit if you're in San Francisco. <clears throat> They've done hundreds of shows, and uh, I was on their board of directors for a while, so it's a really great place to go and visit. They had a shirt there that I bought of Crazy Cat hitting Ignat's mouth, or no, sorry, Ignat's mouse hitting Crazy Cat with a brick. Cut to me purchasing both of those shirts and going to see Pulp Fiction and in it when they shoot uh, Marvin in the face and have to go to get their change, their clothes changed at uh, Quentin Tarantino's house, they end up wearing a banana slug shirt and that Crazy Cat and Ignat's Mouse shirt. And I owned them both before that happened. And my favorite line in the movie is, what do they look like? They look like a couple of dorks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But, I mean, you also didn't have black sucked back hair or, you know, um, you know, you weren't wearing 
I'm guessing you probably weren't wearing dress socks and dress shoes either. No, so no, and I hadn't just killed somebody. Too, yeah, but I mean that's <laughs> that's a minor part. I'm just saying what you look yeah. you know, dress wise. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's a rarity that you walk up to somebody. You look like you just killed somebody. Um, yes. So, well, sometimes you look. Sometimes it looks like you've been killed, or you look yes. like you know death warmed over, or whatever your statement is. But it's definitely one of those things that uh, you don't assume that somebody killed somebody unless they're covered in blood, and then that it will you just make some sort of joke, but you hope it's not true. <laughs> yes, um, having been a, having been a extra in a zombie movie, a low budgets, locally made one. And driving around town dressed as a zombie, we pull up next to people and just slowly turn our heads at them. You get a different reaction than if you're not covered in fake blood. Yeah, yeah. I think the best. I think there was a around here they had a zombie walk oh, about ten years ago, and uh, there's a horde of about twenty zombie, you know, extras that decided to slow walk through a jack in the box um, <laughs> uh, drive through. Yeah, um, and uh, San Jose had one of those, um, and my my publisher SLG uh, put it on, and I was the spoke zombie for that. So they'd do it in a whole day of it. They'd have uh, a, a movie at night. They'd have a zombie fashion show, zombie pub crawl, where you go around to the different uh, bars. There, it was a lot of fun. Nice. Yeah. So I've been outside wearing a lot of fake blood many times. <laughs> That's well, what I'm saying. It's better than real blood, I guess. Yes, always. Especially because I would faint dead away. Um, yeah, the, back to Santa Cruz uh, UCSC for a second. So what happened was that uh, they wanted to pick a mascot, and they let the, the student body pick it, which, of course, gets you Bodie McBoatface or the fighting banana slugs in this case. Um, and then it turned out to be really popular, and they, they, they sell hundreds of T-shirts easily. Um, it happened about the time I was starting to go there back in the 1880s. No, 1980s. I'm not that old. No, no. Um, if you were this old, if you were that old, you would know how to use Facebook. So, I mean, that's, that's exactly. Uh, um, so you're you're talking about like you know the the voting for your you know the fighting banana slugs or something like that. Uh, and I know that you have a, a like a huge. Uh, love of B movies, um, which there's a there's there's a fine line between B movies and then just the awful movies that you have to watch because they're so bad. Oh, yes, exactly. I, I tend to like I like them pretty cheesy. I'm a huge fan of Mystery Science Theater, um, having watched it starting back in the '80s when it first came out, and to this day I, we just watched one this last weekend, uh, one of the new ones. And my love for cheesy movies and B-movies is specifically because of probably the monster designs. I, I, anybody who can pull together, there's uh, a bunch of movies that just have terrible characters in them, terrible designs, like, of course, Robot Monster, where they couldn't afford the entire spacesuit, so they rented the gorilla costume and then stuck the space helmet on top of it. Anything oh. like that uh, <clears throat> just gets me going. Yeah, um, there was two things. One, I was going to bring up, uh, I don't know if you saw, um, I classify it as a B-movie, because it, it, it kind of failed in the box office, but the, uh, it was the Justin Long movie, uh, Accepted. Did you ever see that one? 
Yes, I did see that. Okay, I, it always sticks with me because they are their uh, colors are brown, which is you know it's poo brown, and then their mascot is a sandwich. So <laughs> you know they're shit sandwiches. So I always you know to me that like if you're gonna start a school that that's probably your best uh, mascot you can possibly have. Um, I mean, obviously I hadn't heard about the you know, banana slugs, but at the same time for in a movie to have that, um, definitely there. Um, now with mystery science theater and you're a fan, I think the one that really stands up out with me is the, um, I, I believe that the episode was, uh, called like Mitchell, pardon me, Mitchell. Mitchell. Sorry. You yes. have to yell Mitchell when you say Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> If you know what, if you know MST3K, you know you know that that uh, you know that one. And I think when I I sat down because I'd been like introduced to him through somebody, and I had never really watched um, watched them all. Like I watched bits and pieces or you know little right. clips here and there, but I never really sat down. And the um, uh, lady I was dating at the time was like, "Oh, you gotta watch these." And I was like, "Ah, oh, okay." But after that episode, because she hadn't seen that one either. And so for probably a month, every time we'd go around somebody, we'd say, Mitchell, pardon me, Mitchell. And we just kind of weave our way through. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, it's, if you know, uh, like her, her brothers knew because they had seen that episode. Um, and we knew and we laughed. And, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where if you're in a, like we went to Taco Bell and we were like walking around somewhere and we'd say it and like there'd be like that one guy in the corner that knew what we were talking about. Uh, but right. it was, it's just one of those things like it's such an inside joke that you could pull anything from any of those and somebody somewhere is going to know something. And that's, I think that's why I, you know, I try to go back and watch them again. But, you know, some of those movies are so bad, they're good. Exactly. They're, uh, <clears throat> My worst movie is any movie that it just doesn't do anything. It just sits there and is boring and uh, they don't, it doesn't go into the realm of badness. It's just, it's a movie. <laughs> yeah. I consider it, uh, it's, it's like uh, basically Hollywood actors. You're either super handsome or super ugly. And the ones in between, you're, you're a character actor. <laughs> and I mean, they're great character actors, but to be memorable, you have to be like a Lon Chaney or a, a Cary Grant. You have to have that that look, whether it's hideous or beautiful. Yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah, or just be so oddball that you know you're uh, just you know you're kind of you're not great looking, but you're you're memorable for how you act. That's yeah, yeah. That you gotta. There's that other little side um, part of it, and I, th I think that's another, you know, as far as actors go. Um, now, as far as are you, are you, is it like just like the bad for like the sci-fi movies that you're into, or is it just the like straight to DVD bin? Or so there's there's a fine line, <clears throat> as they say in Final Tap. There's a fine line between stupidity and genius. Um, and in this case, uh, anything like Full Moon Studios, where they're just trying to grind it out to, to make a buck real quick, I hate those. Those are those are stupid just because they don't have the ability to try. I think it's the the fact that uh, 
the people who are trying to make these movies are trying to make movies with the budget they're given. For example, uh, there's a guy named Paul Blaisdell who uh, worked for Roger Corman for years, and he would make monsters for like a buck twenty-five. So like uh, it conquered the world. There, that's the big. It looks like a uh, a radish or some sort of vegetable, <clears throat> and its its name is Beulah. They nickname is Beulah. Then, I mean, it's stuff like The Day the World Ended, The Beast with a Million Eyes, Invasion of the Saucermen. He's uh, the guy behind these super iconic looking monsters that are in just these terrible, terrible movies. And and that has, it's when one thing brings it up above. When everybody's earnestly trying to make the best thing they can with the ability they have, Ed Wood movies are a perfect example. They're terrible because he was not a great filmmaker, but they're wonderful because he had a passion for making film and it shows even though it doesn't show in a way that anybody would want it to show it comes through as being this sort of uh, honest attempt to make a film but not in, not having the skill to do so oh i i geez, I, I, I completely agree, but why a lot of those are still so bad they're great that's i think it yeah. is they're um, I'm, I'm all for it. I, I like all types of movies, and they is, but I tend to lean toward the sci-fi uh, horror genre. Uh, every year we do a Halloween. Well, it was in October alone to start with, but we started watching so many movies we had to start in September. So it's officially called the September uh, Hastings Halloween Horror Fest, uh, where we try and watch as many horror movies as possible. I think our record was a few years ago we watched a hundred. This is. Height of the pandemic, so we didn't really have anything to do. 121 movies in two months. So there were a bunch of double and triple and quadruple features <laughs> some days. Yeah. So here's a as far as a bad horror movie. Uh, have you seen the? I believe it was a straight to sci-fi. It was a horror sci-fi uh, movie called Rock Monster. No. I have not seen Rock Monster. It sounds like one of those asylums, asylum movies, um, where they, they come up with the name first and then work back from that. Um, kind of, yeah. It's um, the, the the synopsis of for the whole movie is uh, a bunch of um, so a back trip, back packing trip through Eastern Europe. Uh, one of the characters finds a a, a sword. Stuck in a stone, I kid you not. <laughs> he frees the sword, a rock monster, um, uh, his, and, like, and then they have to, like, uh, defeat it with the sword that he pulled out of the rock. And, it, yeah, and it's, like, out in the middle of, like, Eastern Europe, so it's, like, you know, like, bad accents, because it's a whole bunch of people that have, you know, from Hollywood trying to do Eastern European accents. Right. Um, I, I just had, I mean, TV idea, it's, it has a 0% on, uh, Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> and it's 24% yeah. for audience score. <laughs> so it's that kind of, you know, and that's bad. And I, I bring that up just cause, um, I got to plug a little bit cause, um, my cousin wasn't actually in that movie. <laughs> and so I'm just like, well, did you owe somebody a, like, like, Something like have a debt to pay, or um, just it was, you know, in my opinion, there's 
the talent is a lot better, and it's, I don't know. But it, that's my level of how bad could you be, you know, at that level when you're, like, ripping off, like, ten different fairy tales and... Uh, right. There's, so. uh, there's a movie that sounds similar in plot, but not similar in anything else, called The Ritual, which uh, yeah. takes it's a backpacking trip through uh, Central European country, and uh, basically the local mythology comes to life and tries to get them, and the creature design in that is some of the best ev I've ever seen. And the tension in the movie is great to begin with, and then when the creature appears, it just amps it to 11, and it's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Contrast that to something along the lines like uh, Manos Hands of Fate, where well, yeah. it so incompetent, basically it was a bet, uh, somebody bet him he couldn't make a movie, and they were right. Um, and just so terrible, it's brilliant. And that's that's one of the movies that is completely enhanced by Mystery Science Theater. That is probably my favorite Mystery Science Theater episode, um, just because the movie is so amateurish but presents so many great little uh, chances for mocking. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything that you can mock and get away with it is fun, too. I mean, um, so yeah, here's another movie I have to ask. Have you seen I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle? <laughs> I have not. Yeah, that's a, it's, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's a, it's a European one, and it's uh, basically it's about a motorcycle that tries. Uh, it's basically Christine, but with a motorcycle. So uh, basically, the the motorcycle drives around and kills people because it runs on blood, quote unquote. <laughs> um, so it, it's it, it's it's that um, you know that that level of. Uh, bad but it came out in the 90s but it looks uh it was like a european movie so like it's that bad british graininess on street to dvd right. so i think you'd even find it on youtube um it's that bad like there's a like, heck with it youtube can have it right uh but um that was you know when i started diving into bad movies someone pointed that out to me and i was like oh i gotta watch that now and I watch it, it's so bad, you can just, they're just, it's it's one of those movies you just laugh at the whole time, because the effects are bad. Um, I think there's some point where uh, a guy looks in the, you know, in the toilet afterwards, and everything in the toilet's talking to him. <laughs> yeah, and it's that bad, uh, like, just the, you know, like, you can just tell they're, he's just sitting in a pool of water, and then has, like, a half a mask on. Just so he can right. move his face, yeah. And it's just like, like they just they they took the the dial went to ten, and they just like went to like six and a half. I'm like, okay, we're fine. So right, um, I think uh, one of the, one of the things I love about horror movies is finding different genres and kind of going down rabbit holes for that. Like the yellow Italian movies, where you you just get the weird. Uh, it's always a killer, uh, an unidentified killer wearing a trench coat and black gloves and they the Italians just do that hit that again and again and again everybody's doing it Fulci uh, uh, Dario Argento all of the Mario Baba they're all doing these the same pastiche again and again and it's interesting because it starts in the mid 60s and goes through the 70s so it's like 
okay, we can't do a lot of gore now, but by the time they get to the 70s and early 80s, they're just uh, full blast going crazy with the, the gore and inventive kills. <clears throat> and then you get a, a group of guys, uh, I think they're Canadian, um, they did the movie Psycho Goreman, or Psycho Gorman, however they're pronounced, <clears throat> which was my introduction to them, but they did another movie called Editor, which is a parody of all of those movies. And unless you've seen all those other movies, that movie doesn't make any sense. It, it, you're just all, oh, this is a, a terribly done movie. But once you know all the pastiche and the, the, the references they're making, then it becomes that much better. But of course, it's uh, my, my wife's favorite horror movie is uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is great by itself, but it's even better if you have seen every other horror movie that takes place in the woods and has a psycho killer uh, from a, Evil Dead to yeah, Friday the 13th and on. That's a good chunk of horror movie right there, just that, you know, Cabin Woods killer. Yeah, yeah, that's just, that's a subgenre right there. Yeah, that's the starter of any character sheet for any, you know, you know, killer, thriller, horror movie, period. Right. My, my, and my other thing about horror movies uh, is that they can encompass such a wide range of uh, topics and also uh, from comedy to drama, basically. You can have something like uh, Wolf Cop, where basically a guy gets bitten by a werewolf and becomes a werewolf cop. And it's silly and over the top and ridiculous. And then you can have something like Midnight Mass, uh, which was absolutely brilliant because it was more of a character study uh, than directly a horror movie or actually a horror show in that case. Yeah, I forgot about Wolf Cup. I forgot about that. I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. Uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of skip to, you know, away from your love of of uh, horror movies, because, I mean, we both love, you know, bad movies. Uh, I love more of the comedic bad movies. You love the, uh, more of the horror ones, and a lot of them cross over. And some of them are just scary because they're so bad. But, yes. um, now you are, you are a writer, and you know, an artist, and um, everything like that. And, like, I didn't, I found something out when I, like I said, I was doing my research, um, that you were the letterer for Dilbert for a while. Yep. And, and like, I mean, how did that come around that you actually be, you know, became that? It was like, was it one of those, like, you know, posters on the, you know, pole that's <laughs> looking for a letterer? Or um, did you know somebody who knows somebody that was, like, watched somebody's dog on the weekend? Or like, how, how did I that know, come that that was all thanks to the aforementioned Cartoon Art Museum, where I was, at the time, a volunteer. I would go in and help them out, and uh, I had just done a brochure for them um, for membership drive, and they uh, had me in mind, of course, and uh, Scott worked with one of the other board members. Well, he wasn't on the board, but uh, Scott worked with one of the board members of the Cartoon Art Museum, and... Uh, because he was at the Cartoon Art Museum, Scott asked him if he knew anybody who did inking. And so he sent him over to me, and I said, I, well, I can try. And then it turned out he just wanted me to ink the letters, which was even better, because I didn't want to try and 
ink his characters because he has a very specific style, even though it is very simple. Um, and he used the he used certain pens that just completely faded away, so all of the originals have kind of just disappeared. It's uh, the Tombow pens that are not very uh, light fast. But anyway, um, so because my brochure was on his desk when Scott called him up, I uh, said, well, give John a try. And I went over to Scott's house, picked up a pile of uh, his strips. He said, well, ink, or letter those and we'll see how it goes. <clears throat> I did. And then I did it for six years. And I have to say, this is pre-crazy Scott Adams. This is back when... Um, my interactions with him would not give me any hint that he's going to become the Looney Tunes that he is now. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you, like, at what point did you just kind of, kind of question it? So, now, you were you were there for what six years? Was it? Yeah, this is back okay. in the early nineties. So I, I, this is literally what happened was I quit my job, um, as I was working at a magazine called Mortgage Market Weekly which, uh, as you can probably tell by the name, is possibly the most boring magazine on the planet. We basically put together uh, interest rates in a 252-page magazines each week, and there would be articles in there to go with it, and there's a Southern California, Northern California. This is before computers really took off and, and made that completely irrelevant. Um, and I went from working there three days a week, and the boss said, how about you work one day a week? And I said, how about I don't work at all? And so I quit my job, and then two weeks later, I got the job lettering Dilbert, which pretty much paid me a minimum wage full-time job salary for working about an hour a day. Oh, those are the best jobs. Yep. So it allowed me to pursue being a cartoonist while having a steady source of income, which was really, which is why I kept doing it for six years. Um he finally, I finally moved down to Santa Cruz, and uh, he wanted to move it over to computers. Uh, but he gave me, as a uh, going away gift, I guess, five thousand dollars to to keep going. Um, so I have nothing bad to say about Scott as a person. Um, however, his politics now are completely wackadoodle, and uh, it's it's uh, I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> Well, the, I, I can tell that you you have you know as far as him be you know personally as a person be, you know beliefs aside that you have uh, you know you you have nothing really bad to say about him because you use terms like wackadoodle because um, <laughs> yeah like you you can call your own mother wackadoodle and you know that's like that's like saying you're crazy with a hug uh, right so I get it um, you know I use you know I use terms like wackadoodle too. Uh, but it, usually it's just referring to crazy small dogs. Um, yes. The, the, when I was lettering, it was from uh, 93 to 99. So this is like a decade before uh, I started noticing articles and people posting, have you heard what Scott Adams said? And uh, I was confounded by all of it because um, my interactions with him, as I said, were always super nice, very nice guy, generous to a fault. Um, and just really there. I mean, he could have at any point uh, put his lettering on the computer, but I think he felt uh, it was kind of a, a, a worthwhile thing to, to keep paying me so that I could also do cartoons. So basically a mentor and uh, pretty much a patron 
kind of, I felt like I was in the court of King Louis the Fifteenth, and he was the patron of the arts, and uh, letting me do my stuff while he was uh, getting the lettering done. And there's there's something also about unless you have the right the correct font, there there is something about looking at a you know a strip or uh, even a you know, graphic novel and actually seeing the lettering that if you have an eye for the you know, arts, you can tell that, okay, that was hand done or that was uh, just pasted in there on a the computer. Um, and some people, like people that actually are artistic in one, some way or another or have that appreciation for it, I think that really does add something to it. I mean, granted, it's Dilbert. It's not like, um, you know, it's not like some huge, you know, monthly trade, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think, yeah, the people that were huge fans of it you could definitely tell that, oh, this is still done the old style. This is done old school. This is, you know, it, I mean, it's not like a, uh, I'm not going to compare it to like Andy Cap or something like that, but at the same time, it's still, you know, there's a, um, it, 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 it has, way. it has its, it has a popularity. And when I was lettering them, I would try and figure out what the punchline would be. And I could almost never do it. Because he is really good at twisting the, the humor right at the end, just tweaking it so it goes in a different direction than what you're expecting. My uh, my favorite one is still, uh, I fell asleep last night and I dreamt that I ate a giant marshmallow. When I woke up, my giant marshmallow was gone. Because you're expecting the pillow, but yeah. no, my marshmallow was gone. Yeah. absurd silly goofy stuff like that the other thing is the fact that he is not and this is self-admitted the best artist um and therefore his line work and his lettering were not i mean he's no walt kelly i, I wasn't doing gothic script or different types of font styles to letter it yeah. um because i have uh you may be shocked to know terrible handwriting um to the point where i had somebody else design the font for my comic book so that when I uh, computer lettered my comic book, completely different person. It's it's unique to my comic, but I didn't do it. Well, I, I have I'm the same. I have I'm one of those people. I will type out something if I need to write you a note. I will type it out and print it and give it to you <laughs> before I actually handwrite it. Um, I always make the joke that uh, my my penmanship went to medical school. Um, yeah. Just his. Uh, I I grew up where my like to make sure it's my signature now. When I just sign my my credit card, I put a smiley face just so I know it's actually me. Because you could anybody could just scribble what I do. Right. Um, so, my brain will not allow me to do anything that's. Uh, my brain always wants to be done with it. It wants to have all the letters out on the page as quickly as possible, so I can move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that doesn't. I mean, it works if you're just trying to write a note real quick, but if you're trying to letter something that people are trying to read, nope, that's not going to work. No. I, I I feel your pain, and I empathize with you because I'm in the same boat. And, um, you know, as far as, uh, you know, like, you know, you're artistic and you have the skills behind you, but then you try to, like, slow down for one second, it doesn't really work out. Um, yeah. So, um. No, I remember you. You mentioned your wife, and I, I just and I mentioned that you're a huge fan. And, and I saw that you, like in this article I found, like on page sixty-seven of a Google search. Um, 
it was it said that you proposed to your wife in the uh Pirates of the Caribbean ride. That is correct. And I'm just curious <laughs> on what part of that ride because I'm guessing no. it wasn't the part where, you know, uh, Johnny Depp pops out because you, know, you guys have been married longer than like a few years. Yes, so. we were married. This is our this will be our 25th wedding anniversary coming up. We were married on Halloween, dressed as pirates. Well, congratulations! So you, can, so you can get well, thank you. So you can get a theme there, and this is back in '97. So this was before Pirates of the Caribbean. So mm-hmm. we were pirates before pirates were cool. Um, I proposed to her on the pirates because. Uh, obviously, we're huge Disneyland fans, and uh, it's a tie between Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion is my favorite ride. Obviously, because I, she said yes to my wedding proposal on Pirates, but also because I got to work on the Haunted Mansion comic for Disney and draw uh, the backstories of the three hitchhiking ghosts and the uh, the two architects and stuff like that. But back to the proposal. <clears throat> uh, so my lovely wife is a redhead. And there, of course, is the uh, famous auction scene where the redhead is being auctioned off. Oh, that's so right. When yeah. we got to that, so when we got to that point, uh, they're yelling, we want the redhead, we want the redhead. And I turned to her and I said, I want the redhead too. Will you marry me? And then I pulled out the ring. And uh, fortunately, she said yes, because that would have been an embarrassing wet walk uh, back out of the ride. Uh, so fortunately, she said yes. And uh Cut to today, and we've been married 25 years. That would be really embarrassing if you were right in front of the restaurant. Is, you know, is you, <laughs> you go through, and she's like, no. And then she just gets out and walks through the restaurant and just leaves. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, and I, you know, I've i eaten in that restaurant. I don't know if you – have you eaten in there? Because I know you're a big Disney fan. So. Okay, so, so this is how nerdy we are. Uh, we always ask for table 13, which is in the center by the water. Um, or at least I don't know if they've renumbered the tables recently, but uh, that was the center one. We also did the Adventures by Disney Disneyland tour and were one of only 25 groups to ever had breakfast in the Blue Bayou. Okay. Because they don't, they don't usually serve breakfast. They only serve lunch and dinner. Um, yeah. I've had both lunch and dinner in there. Um, yeah. I've never, like, like you said, I've... Um... I, I think I promised somebody at some point that I would, you know, get him to have breakfast there, and those relationships have, you know, went away. So it doesn't matter. I'm not on the hook for it. But um, <laughs> I just remember the first time I was there, she she knew more about Disney than I did. Um, I, I wasn't like I was a fan of Disney. Like I knew where everything was in Disney. I had been on every ride uh, at least twice. Uh, you know, and like. I mean, for somebody that's only been there a few times, it, I thought it was great. Uh, but when, you know, for my birthday, they brought out the pirate ship, the completely edible pirate ship. Um, and my mind was just blown away. I was like, you mean I get to eat this whole thing? Um, I couldn't, so I shared it with her. But at the same time, it was, you know, still like, the, it was that level of, um, you know, getting out there. Now, I, I, I have, I think I know the answer, but have you been in Club 33? I have been. So one of the things we think, but we didn't get this confirmed, that when we did that Disney tour and they had us eat breakfast in uh, the Blue Bayou, we were supposed to eat in Club 33, but Club 33 was being renovated that time. The closest I've been to Club 33 is on the bottom step looking up to where where you go to go into it 
I have I have yet to find somebody to take me to Club 33, but I've been like at the base of the, the stairs, which you can't go into unless somebody lets you in, and that was part of a tour. <laughs> yeah, I, I I've been to the door. I I, I found the door, yep. and I I put my hand on the door, and you know did the obligatory you know photo pose. Yep. Um But <clears throat> I I have to ask anybody that is a Disney fan that possibly could have, you know, gotten in there just cause I, I'm curious myself. I mean, I, I would, yeah. Um, like, well, I, they re- I know they renovated it. So it's even bigger now they took away. Um, so there used to be a little staircase in the back, uh, which was great for photos and stuff, but they, they have blocked that off to expand uh, part of club 33, which was kind of sad, but uh, you know, hopefully someday I'll get in there. Well, maybe we need to figure out how to, like, I don't know, like, somehow say we're all related, and then that way we can all pitch in money, and then... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some, uh, I've been other super cool places that other people haven't been at Disneyland. I've been up in uh, uh, Walt's apartment above the fire station. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in the uh, Fantasy Suite, the one that's where the Disneyland gallery used to be right above the Pirates. Um, I've been to, uh, well, if you go off, if you go out of there, I've been to Imagineering and the Disney Studios. Um, and where else? Let's see. Well, of course, the Walt Disney Family Museum up here in San Francisco. Uh, uh, yeah, it's in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bunch of different. I've been to Walt's grave in uh, uh, one of the cemeteries down there in LA. I've been to his, uh, they have a train museum. Uh, near where the old studio used to be, where they have Walt's, uh, the Carroll Co. Express, because that's the street he was on. So that was the original train that uh, influenced the uh, train at Disneyland. Yeah. I've been to uh, the Tam O'Shanter, where uh, Walt had a favorite table and he'd go eat after working at the studio. Uh, so we're big Disneyland fans, and we do a lot of the weird uh Walking Walt footsteps. Uh, we've been when we went to Disney World. We did the tour where you went to the different machine shops. You went to the where they had the animals. You got to go in the Utilidor, which is the whole basically Disney World is based in is two stories. The bottom story is the Utilidor, which is connections that run through the entire park, so nobody can see you. Nobody sees you in your uh, uniform for pirates going through uh, Fantasyland. Um, and so the second story is actually the Magic Kingdom itself. So you, you get to do all these weird things that you, you didn't think you'd be able to do. But yeah, uh, fortunately, I had friends who were animators there. And we did lots of the tours that they had. We were in a couple parades. We are uh, we're a little bit Disney obsessed to the point where my lovely wife will figure out how to do an entire Disneyland trip. Our record, I think, was 51 rides in two days. And that's she. Her nickname. Her name is Terry, and her nickname is Itinerary because she comes up with these itineraries that are uh, figured out to the second. Um, and we'll take friends with us, and they will have the best time because back when they had fast passes, she would run ahead and get the fast passes for everyone while we were on one ride. They would come and ride that, and then she'd go get the fast passes for the next one. Uh, the ultimate host. We are really good. <laughs> um, it's it's a bunch. It's a bit different now, of course, because they've uh, taken out the fast passes. We used to have that down uh, where we could get 
in and out. Uh, we did one uh, last time we went. We went to Disney World, and we uh, I think the longest line we had. I, I remember reading it popped up in my memories the other day. Fifteen minutes was the longest wait we had. Oh, that's not that bad. I mean, that's that's better than most counting fair or less than yeah. most counting fairs. So. Yeah. There's been times when we'll show up and, uh, for example, uh, we rode Pirates of the Caribbean where we told them it was our anniversary. Let, they let a boat go before us, gave us an entire boat to ourselves, and didn't let anybody get on the boat behind us. So we basically had the ride to ourselves. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we're, we're, we, we know how to Disney. Uh, we went to Disneyland Tokyo, and uh, we went to Tokyo to visit friends. But the first part of it, because it was right around Halloween and our anniversary, so we decided to go to Disneyland and Tokyo Sea first. Um, we don't speak, we, we know like three phrases in, in Japanese, but we speak Disney. So every time we get on a ride, uh, for example, we go on the Tower of Terror there, and they'd say, okay, get ready to chest your belt by pulling on it. And we'd, just, we'd already be ahead of our hand on the belt, showing them we know what we're doing. And other people around them didn't know. So it was like, we speak Disney and we didn't need to speak Japanese. And those parks are by my by far my favorite ones of the, the Disney parks. We've also been to Disneyland Paris, um, which is also pretty gorgeous. But uh, Disney Tokyo Sea is by far my Disney favorite Disney park. Yeah, I, I've only done Disney World and Disneyland. I, I haven't done any of the international Disney's just kids. Um, either I don't have the money to do it or um, I've yet to find someone that is willing to uh, spend the money to go to, you know, you know Tokyo or um, Paris. Um, I have a few yeah. friends that would rather go see, like, do, like, the Lego, you know, the overseas Lego adventures or something like that. But, um, yeah, then I just make up the point, like, do you really want to spend 16 hours walking in Legos? Because that hurts. Uh, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, we we've done the Disney or we've done the Lego uh, park down in Southern California, and that's it's much more kid based. Although they did have the sets for the Lego Movie, which was pretty cool to see the actual sets for that. Yeah. But all in all, the reasons I got to go to these different places, well, Paris was for my fiftieth birthday, so that that helped. Um, also, uh, as I mentioned, we had friends staying in uh, Japan at the time, so. We could afford to go to the Disney park because for the rest of the time there, we were staying at their house. Um, so it was nice to have somebody there. And they took us around and showed us all the, the actual cultural stuff, the thousand-year-old Buddhas and, and yeah. the temples and stuff like that, the stuff you'd want to go see, Akihabara and uh, super cool places like that. But <clears throat> being Disney fans, we kind of had to start with uh, the Disney stuff. When that, that trip, we went to Disneyland Paris. We also went to London. We have friends who live there. The first thing we did, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, we went to uh, a Star Wars exhibit. <laughs> we, we didn't go see Big Ben. We didn't go and do uh, Tower of London or anything like that. We went and saw a Star Wars exhibit is the first thing we did. Well, yeah. Um, I, mean, I, mean, it's, I, I mean, it's a big clock. It's a bridge. I mean, you know, you can see those yeah. anytime. Um, yeah, we saw them later, but it was the first, first thing. we Star Wars. Let's go do the Star Wars thing. Well, yeah. I mean, like the same thing when every time I go to Vegas, I, I go to the the other uh, pinball hall of fame. I don't even go to the strip. I don't see, you know, any show. I go to the pinball hall of fame and I get barbecue. 
so I mean, you kind of after you know if you if you know what you're going getting into, you have your um, priority set properly, um, just because you know you you do what you want to do, and I, I don't believe you one bit. I would go see Star Wars um, in London. I would go you know I would, if I went to the UK, I would probably or Tokyo, I would probably. You know, I would go to the you know Disney, and then I'd probably find a Seven Eleven, and then you know, on some corner, and then I would go do everything else. Um, yeah. So I mean, I don't, I don't, I I'm right there with you. Um, I mean, granted, I don't know when I would actually get there, but at the same time, um, you know, I think that's you know awesome that you're you you get to do that. I'm highly jealous. Um, but the same time. Well, again, it comes down to my lovely wife's ability to plan things. I'll give you an example. Um, she spent a good year planning our trips to London and Paris so that every day we were doing stuff. And two examples, which sort of, sort of sum everything she's about up. At one point, we were walking down a street, and she said, oh, yeah, we're going the right way. And I said, how do you know? She said, because I walked this all on Google Maps. And then she uh, had us turn around, and there was Hastings Adventures, which was a travel agency. So we had to take a picture in front of that because she randomly found it on Google Maps when she was walking the streets, so she knew where she was going. That is how pre-planned she is. Yeah, I, I, I've done that. You know, when I was going, uh, I forgot where I was going, visiting somebody in the Midwest, and I'd never been to the town. And I, I, you know, I followed, so I knew because they said, "Oh, it's hard to find my house." And so I went, you know, I got off the freeway and I like went street by street by street and trying to figure that out. And, um, so I, I mean, I think with Google Maps, you can, I mean, short of experiencing the ride itself, I mean, you can pretty much do anything you want at this point. Yeah. So, um, step away from Disney for a second. I, I have to, uh, uh, ask you, are you coming up with any more of, uh, Dr. Mondo's, uh, mayhem stuff uh we're thinking about doing a sequel what he's talking about there is dr mondo's mixed up monster mayhem which is a card game i came out with recently based on my lifelong love of silly monsters that stem from those books that where you have the different uh, parts of the monsters the head the middle and then the legs and you can flip them back and forth um, so you can make different monsters and a thing called mighty men and monster makers uh, which had little uh, pieces of plastic with sort of bas-relief pictures on them, and you'd set the head and then the chest and the legs on it, put a piece of paper over it and rub a pencil, and then you get a mixed-up monster out of that. <clears throat> I recently found out that those were all designed by Rocketeer creator Dave Stevens, which made it even cooler. Oh, um, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, he, uh, which kind of ties into my very first uh, comic book convention at, uh, well, first time, well, not my first convention, but my first time going to comic-con because they didn't know who we were they put us over in the dealer section and then uh we went so can we be someplace else we're not dealers were uh, so somebody else hadn't shown up so they put us uh in a booth that was next or across from dave stevens caddy corner from bill stout and next to mobius oh wow and yeah so that's my first comic-con experience is sitting next to these three legends and at one point, Mobius came over, and I had I printed up the covers to my different issues beforehand because it was cheaper to gang print the covers of my comic book, Smith Brown Jones, Alien Accountant. Um, and he pointed at one of them and said, 
is very beautiful. And at which point I just went, give me a towel, I'm done, I'm out. That's it. Uh, when a French national treasure comes over and tells you that uh, your cover is beautiful, you, you, that's pretty much your, your career highlight there. That's career highlight right there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, so back to my, Dr. Mondo. Dr. Mondo I created in about the year 2000, uh, which sounds very science fiction. The year 2000. But uh, it was a comic book uh, based here in Santa Cruz called Mad Science. I only got the first two issues done. Um, there was a, a lawsuit pending or threatened because of the name Mad Science. Uh, a Canadian company had copyrighted that or was using that as a trademark. And uh, they were they were a little irked that I had called my comic book Mad Science. But that's it's like calling a comic book ham sandwich, I thought. But uh, so I didn't get it. And I was also a little bit lazy. So it's a lazy and possible potential lawsuit. But the main character was Dr. Mondo, who was a mad scientist. And coming up with this idea during the plague that we've had over the past several years, that I wanted to do a game where you build monsters. And so I came up with these 18 different monsters. And I think they're I, I tried to figure out how many possible ones, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of different potential monsters you can build with it. And then there's also goofy cards that help you like lab assistant or uh, lab explosion, uh, random body parts like a or wild card body parts like a Fugoonie and a goof noodle that work as any robot or any part. Um, so there's robots, uh, fuzzy wuzzies, uh, lizards, aliens, and two others that are escaping me right. Oh, aquatic and did I say robotic? Is that I think so. Yes. Yes. If not, uh, it's on there twice. That's fine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they, there's uh, six different monster types, three different of each, and the gameplay is pretty much you just pick cards until you build a whole monster, and the last person to build the, uh, put the final piece down gets it, and then at the end you rebuild your monsters and try and get as many po points as possible. If you rebuild the whole monster. Uh, how it's supposed to be based on a little symbol. You get 20 points if you build the same monster or build a monster out of the same color parts, say all robotic, you get 10 points and random uh, monster you get, no, 15 points and then 10 points for the random monster. And then any points, any parts left over are point each. Pretty simple. It's a little bit of math, a little bit of color theory, um, which is funny because I'm severely colorblind. So, uh, <laughs> Trying to trying to get the colors right was a, a bit of a challenge, but uh, we did a Kickstarter for it, and it came out about three months ago. Uh, so it's been pretty successful for us. We just did a comic convention here. It's it's really weird because back in my day, nobody had heard of Comic Con, and that was the largest comic book convention in the United States, and it was it would get no press. This is back I first went in '88. And it was still at the old hotel. It was still super small. There was no such thing as cosplay doesn't equal consent because nobody wanted to uh, uh, hit on the very large gentleman dressed as uh, Superman. Uh, but nowadays, uh, comic book conventions are popping up everywhere. And we just had one in the next town over this a uh, couple weekends ago where the... Uh, so Watsonville is a little town next to us where they filmed Killer Clowns from Outer Space. And oh, yeah. so the creators of Killer Clowns came back and had a booth. Uh, and because I, I did the very first con they did six months ago, I said, I love that movie. I'm so glad they're going to be there. So they put me two booths over from them. So that was really fun to be right there by them. 
um, and, and get to meet them. But uh, we're thinking of doing a board game next uh, called Escape Dr. Mondo's Lab, where you have to. Uh, so you're all mad scientists trying to get out of the lab, but the the idea is basically to stop everybody else from getting out of the lab before you do. Uh, so what would normally be a very quick trip turns into constant uh, sabotage and undermining of the other per other person's turns. I, I know I know a gentleman named Todd that would love that game just for the pure sabotage <laughs> yes. you know, aspect of yeah. that. Um, we'll, we'll have to. Uh, get him uh, uh, to purchase that game so he'll never play it because, you know, most, <laughs> yes. most of us like games we never play. Um, yeah. Or we play them once and then you know, everybody loses interest or something. But um, We bought a bunch of games. Well, we had, to we had to play a bunch of games because we bought a bunch to sort of get an idea of how games are put together. Uh, it was funny when I, I first put this up on Kickstarter, somebody contacted me with just a giant list of questions of, have you done this? What's this about? Have you gone onto this website? And are you part of this forum? Do you know this? And my answers were just all, no, no, no. I just like goofy monsters and I made a game. And uh, I'm glad it went through and we had a successful campaign because otherwise I would have felt really silly. But uh, enough people liked it and I hadn't bugged my friends about uh, supporting me in, in several years so they were all on board and came through for me yeah i was i was looking at picking it up but you know other things that um i guess the, you could classify as adulting costs you know popped up and um but i i was definitely interested because i did get a, a little pamphlet um a while back from you you'd sent me um like a, like a i don't know a promo piece or something like that for it and that alone looked really cool. Um, that's actually sitting on my bookshelf next to my, all my other books. And so I was like, every once in a while, someone will pull it out and be like, what's this? I was like, oh, it's, you know, and I'll tell them as much as I know about it. Um, but, like, you've obviously got a little bit more depth, on, you know, than I was aware of. Um, so now I can definitely uh, point people into the direction of uh, purchasing it because, um, yeah, everybody that sees it, thinks it's great and then there's a few people that just like have no idea what what's about because they're not they're not gamers they're not comic book people they're just like i don't know what they are but well it is a very small small thing we uh the minimum order to print it was 500 and that's what we went with um and we pre-sold about 125 so we still have boxes and boxes of them and they're only 20 dollars a piece um, I still haven't figured out a way to directly sell them. I think my email address is on my website. That's how uh, tech-savvy I am. Um, Beantunes.com, everybody. Beantunes, B-E-A-N-T-O-O-N-S.com. Um, but there's lots of stuff. Uh, the other thing that happened is that we were we had a stretch goal where it would also include the evil scientist version. So there's the deranged science version where you're all building communal monsters. The evil scientist version changes the rules that you're building your own monsters and adds a bunch of cards in uh, monster maladies like oil boil and strange mange that affect other players' cards and lots of steel cards from people. It's a very Todd game, uh, as you can imagine. Um, of course. And so we didn't have we didn't hit that extra gold because it would have added like a thousand dollars under the printing cost uh so we couldn't afford to do it but 
I decided to include the instructions and the extra cards that you can print out and stick into the rest of the cards so it works with the game. So you can play both versions. And the website also has all the monster bios and stuff like that. It's just, it's fun to look at just in its own. Uh, not necessarily to, to go and uh, just buy the, the game. Yeah. Well, I suppose, I suppose you could sell it through like Etsy or something like that. Um, yeah. But if I get off my lazy butt and do something like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> someday I will actually do that. Someday. I think that's yeah. the excuse that we all use is someday. Yes, it's it's one I use a lot. <laughs> um, but that was that was the one good thing about the uh, the pandemic. Uh, it allowed me to uh, have the well. I, I also teach cartooning classes, and so my classes went from oh I have one class this week to oh I don't have a class this week um, until all the Zoom thing was figured out. Uh, so I sat down and said, okay, I'm making a game. I've done comics, I've done kids' books, I've done uh, 3D modeling, stuff like that. Uh, made little weird sculptures and things, but now I'm going to do a card game. Uh, there's there's a, I can't remember the name, there's a Garrison Keillor novel about a radio station, and there's one character in it who uh, they describe later in the book as he could have been a genius if he just stuck with one thing. Um, <laughs> and that's how I feel my career is. I, I, I get to do all these weird little things. I was, I, as I mentioned, I did the Haunted Mansion comic book that only lasted 12 issues and it was a, an anthology. So I had stories in as, as many as I could get my stories in. Um, I did lettering for Dilbert. I've been a pinup photographer, which came about because of comics, because I had that eye for creating a panel. I could do a pinup and I, I needed, uh, photo reference for my comics so i would take pictures of my, my wife's cousins and friends of mine and stuff like that and i well, oh i can pretty good at photography let's try some pinups and then that started to work out and i made some money on that as well and moved on from that it's a weird cascading ricocheting off of everything career i've had so what's next for you what do you what do you what's coming down the line for uh you know, Mr. Hastings. I have an idea for another kid's book. I did one called Terabella Smoot and the Unsung Monsters about this little girl monster who gets lost on the way to the Monster of the Year celebration and has to find her family. Um, she is, I think she's going to star in this next one because I can't stop drawing monsters and I like drawing monsters much better than I like drawing humans. Uh, I'm thinking of doing a kid's book called Adequate about being, you know, pretty good. Okay, adequate, which, as I've just mentioned, is sort of my entire career. And I like the idea of people, because there's always, you can be anything you want to be. You can be this, you can be that. Just believe in yourself and do, do, do. You can be the best. Um, when a lot of us just, you know, if we can make a, a decent meal at the end of the day and not just have peanut butter and jelly again, feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And some of us shouldn't be doctors. That's another thing. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I yeah. know it's you know there's certain time like certain times in your life where you should just realize that a participation trophy is all you're ever gonna get and that's all you deserve. And so. funny you mentioned that the only uh, trophy I ever got was a participation trophy, and I got it like four years ago. <laughs> oh wow! So not even not even as a kid, I got this as an adult. Um, 
I got nominated for an Eisner Award in the category Talent Deserving Wider Recognition. And it turned out I did not uh, deserve wider recognition, according because <laughs> I lost. <laughs> yeah, I, but it was nice yeah. to know. Well, I mean, I think back in the day, I think the, the last trophy I got was uh, miniature golf. I got a hole in win on 18th hole. Nice. And they give you the the like the dollar. Uh, I, I think it was a dollar to probably make it. I mean, it was the cheapest possible trophy you could get. And he doesn't right. have anybody say it. just says hole in one. And then it has the, you know, the, it doesn't even say like the miniature golf course. It just says hole in one. So they probably just bought them bulk from China or something like that. And so um, I don't even know. I think I ended up giving it to somebody that, um, uh, like, as a congratulatory gift because they announced that they were having a kid. And so I gave it to him as a gag gift, you know, for, you know. Nice. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I, you know, there's a reason I turned to computers and, and uh, graphics because it's, you know, I, I wasn't a sports star, so I would have gotten all the participation trophies, but that was before, you know, um, everybody got a ribbon, everybody got, you know, whatever. Like, I was, I, you know, I'm kind of, I'm, not old, 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 but I'm still old enough where, like, either you did good or you just sat there and watched the people that did good get recognized. And, um, but I'm, I think just the fact that you were at least recognized or put up for the, you know, um, the recommendation or the, uh, for the Iser, that, that speaks volumes. Even if you didn't win, that still says, you know, something. Yes, it does. Well, one of the things it says is I knew two of the judges on the uh, panel. But uh, anyway. Hey, that always helps, too. Yes, it does. And uh, he, the uh, the one of the judges is Joe Field, who created Free Comic Book Day. So he knows a bit about comics. And he, he was, he's been a uh, supporter of mine for decades now. So I, I, I thank him for it was fun to go to the Eisners and have my name read with all the other people. And uh, hear all my friends in the back yelling and screaming when I was when they when they said my name. Um, but one I think one of the best days of my life is when I figured out that I am not the hero in the story. I am the wacky neighbor, and that sounds like it would be bad, but the hero always has the bad stuff happen to him. There's always something messing with him that he has to get through, whereas the wacky neighbor shows up, says something funny. Um, as basically uh, like Kramer falls ass backwards into money, things like that. Like the the Dilbert thing was a complete fluke because I just happened to have done the uh, brochure and it happened to be on the desk of one of Scott's co-workers and he happened to be looking for a letter or two weeks after I quit my job. The, the kismet, the weird cosmicness of that is amazing. One thing I do have to say is that um, I do a lot of stuff, especially for like the Cartoon Art Museum. I edited two books for them called Spark Generators, uh, which made over $7,000 for the museum, where we had, I think it was the total was like 32 different artists writing about their influences. Um, but I volunteered my time on that. And I got more out of that because I volunteered my time than I would if I had tried to charge them for that. Yeah. The uh, the cover of the first one was done by Will Eisner, 
and the cover of the second one was done by Mike Kaluta. And I got to watch him paint the cover at Comic-Con. Oh, wow. Uh, he didn't have any time to do it before he, he'd inked it, but he hadn't uh, painted it yet. So he's all, wait a minute, I'll do it for you now. So I just stood there for 25 minutes as he watercolored uh, the cover for this book I was editing. Uh, so it was really just, you know, oh, it's it's a lesson in watercoloring for free for this guy who's doing the cover for my book. And now I get to say he did the cover for my book. Yeah, you can't beat, beat that opportunity to just wait. I mean, even if you weren't using it, it was just you happen to watch someone yeah. like do that. And that yeah. That's amazing. Um, I'm, uh, once again, uh, you know, jealous. Um, not a lot because I would be horrible at, uh, you know, inking letters, but at the same time, all the other stuff. Well, the, the thing about comics is I never really made any money out of it. Per se, I, my, our, our mantra was pay for the booth and lunch. Um, uh, most of the time it was just to go see friends and meet my heroes and stuff like that. So uh -huh. uh, that's worth it, though. Yeah, it is. I mean, there was there's cons where I would show. So because of Joe Field, I would show up at uh, Flying Colors when Jim Lee was there, when he was just starting out and have a 20 minute conversation because nobody knew who he was yet. And yeah. then, or, uh, this kept happening. It's very strange. I would go, I went to uh, Comic-Con and Neil Gaiman was just sitting by himself with no line. So me and my friend went and talked to him for 20 minutes about what he was working on and Sandman. Sandman was out by this point. So it wasn't like, but it was only like two or three issues in. So it was, everybody's going, yeah, we, we spent $75 to go see Neil Gaiman. And I, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> He drew me a picture of a sand rat. It was super cool. Um, but getting to meet my my artistic heroes, my, my all-time favorite, uh, uh, probably since childhood, is Chuck Jones, creator of, of course, Pepe Le Pew and Penelope and director of Duck Dodgers and Dopper yeah. uh, Doc and all the, and uh, One Froggy Evening and the Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote cartoons, my all-time favorite animator. Um, because of the Cartoon Art Museum uh, and me volunteering and, and helping out so much i got to go give him so they gave an award each year called uh, the sparky award named after charles schultz and so chuck couldn't make it up to chuck i call him chuck. mr jones couldn't make it up to the ceremony one year and uh to get his award so the sculptor who lived down in la said well why don't you come with me and we'll go over to his studio and give it to him directly so we went to his studio got to hang out with him he gave us a tour of the whole place um uh we talked for a bunch i gave him my comic book uh showed him the uh, so for the spark generators mine of course was about my story was about chuck jones so i got to give him that uh story directly to him he drew a picture of uh pepe Le Pew for us uh and it's one of those things where they say don't meet your heroes this was the complete opposite this was absolutely meet your hero and him be better than you ever thought it could be uh so it's it's one of those things where not, I, I don't have that overwhelming ego drive to be super successful at comic books. I just enjoy making them and they've led to a bunch of stuff where because I've done things for other people through that medium, I have gotten to meet people I've never would have gotten to meet. Yeah. 
So you're basically the comic books that you're doing and all the th everything you're doing is just allowing you to basically be happy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> as happy as one can be in these trying times. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, yeah, it's like you are you're you're getting to experience stuff and you know and meet people and do things that most of us wouldn't even think about doing. I mean, like. I mean, I'm gonna say like I'm not a like um, I did radio for a while, radio, you know, like actual you know broadcast radio, and so I got to meet people that like so many people like oh I love that guy or that lady was in that movie that I liked, and I was like I, I sat in the green room and you know brought him coffee and was you know we sat and talked about like shoes for an hour, um, and so you know like when you get a chance to meet you know someone that you look up to or. Even if it was just someone that you happen to know for that happens to be famous, but you're talking to them on a, like a normal level, like a regular person, that's something that you can't get away away from. You can't. That's the opportunity that um, arises very um, seldom, and that's you know it's something that um, you know it's great that you've gotten a chance to meet like people that are quote unquote your hero or someone that you respect or. Um, you'll look up to, um, I mean, like I met Mr. T outside of a bathroom. So, um, it, like it was LA, I was walking out of the bathroom and he had, you know, he had a hat on, uh, he didn't have any of his chains on cause he was trying to be incognito. And I just was like, and I, and I, I saw him go in and I, I was walking out and I was like, that was Mr. T or somebody that looked just <laughs> like him. And you, as I didn't want to follow him into the bathroom because that's like what rule number one you don't do. You don't follow in famous people into the bathroom because they're just like everybody else. They don't want to be bothered while in the bathroom. And um, he walked back out, and I was like, I really hate to bother you, but are you Mr. T? And he's like, Yes. I was like, I didn't want to bother you because I didn't want to call you know attention. And he thanked me for it, and we sat and talked for about fifteen minutes in the airport about like where he was going and what he was doing and everything like that. And uh, it turned out we happened to be on the same flight. Um, <laughs> you know, and so it was just like one of those random things. I mean, granted, he was in first class and I was sitting back you know, like in the bathroom, but it was still that opportunity to like sit and talk to him. Um, you know, like it, just random meetings and random encounters with people that you, that you get, you, you got to really cherish those and, um, and I, I, I think it's great that you've had the ones at least that most people would pay to do. Like, I mean, how many people, how many people have paid to have an autograph or in a picture with Mr. T? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, granted, I, I would, I never got to meet, you know, any of the, like, you know, Dirk Benedict or any of those people, but still, you know, I, it's one of those like, well, I got part of the A team. I got the A part of the team. <laughs> oh, I got the T. Oh yeah, I got the T, but yeah, he Mr. T was. I mean, minus the he van, was, yeah. he was the A team. Yes. So, uh, he was the you know he was the muscle. He was the one that was always building stuff. Um, you know, he was the the one that always had the tough message to whoever he was talking. To. Like you know, the young kid at the end, uh, right back in the where everything had to have a certain message after every episode. Um. So, you know, he was the guy that always did that. All the other ones, I mean, like, it's not going to be Hannibal. He, he sat and smoked cigars all day long. Um, you know, Face just drove his Corvette around so he could, you know, hook up with ladies. And then you had a crazy guy. 
Um, so, you know, he was the 18. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, minus the van. But yeah, it's. And, and you always knew it was 845 when he was building something. Yep. That, as soon as that music kicked out, even you didn't even have to have the music, it could be on silence. And then you're like, oh, it's 840. Yep. And then uh, it just kick in. And then, uh, or you, like, they're like, you know, they're on a. You know, you see like a dirt road. You're like, well, I guess you're gonna be able to build something in a barn this week. Yep. Uh, and well, I'm not. I don't want to take too much of your time. I do appreciate you. Uh, you um, giving rambling some, a bit. Well, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> interesting because I mean, we all like we know each other through you know Facebook and through you know friends of friends type of deals, but but uh, we've never actually. Um, like talked talked uh and you know from what i understood you had an interesting backstory and so i wanted to let other people know uh, your story um just because uh i mean i could talk to other people but you know they get you know you're not on a podcast you're not you know you don't write you know a blog you don't have a youtube channel you know you know you're not like you don't have 150 followers thousand followers on tiktok or whatever so to get who you are out there, that's kind of, you know, the only way you can really do that is to have someone interview you or be a guest or something like that. And that's why I wanted to reach out because you had a story. You had stuff that, you know, was interesting. Um, I mean, did we touch on all of your story? No. Um, I mean, we definitely could probably talk for days about, you know, who you are. Um, just because, you know, like you said, there's so many things that have happened um, and everything, um, but I would like to remind everybody they can definitely check you out on you know Bean Tunes. That's b e a n t o o n s dot com. Um, and if you uh, if you you know, want to pick you know if you want to catch up on anything or if you, you will end up doing your you know your next uh, book or any of those things, um, you're welcome to come back and you know. We can definitely pimp it if it's going to be on another, you know, uh, Indiegogo or GoFundMe or something like that. Because, um, you know, getting more people to follow it back, whatever you're doing, is always a positive. I greatly appreciate the time and effort. Um, I am, uh, uh, I like to talk about myself probably a little too much. And I, I it's, what I, as I say to my friends, I'm not a cool person, but I've done a bunch of cool stuff. Um, so you're if you're, you're interesting, and that to me that's cool. Um, and because if you if you you wouldn't have done cool things if you're not a cool person. That that's the way I look at it. Because the people that sit at home and don't do anything that um, you know uh, like just just are this exist. Those are the people that are that aren't exciting, are are interesting, aren't cool, um, because um, there's a lot of variances of what "quote unquote" cool is. Um, but at the same time, you know, you've met people, you've done things. Um, even no matter how much a lot of people don't like the comic Dilbert, you've done that. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I just, at least it's not Ziggy, um, but it's. It, it, it's you you've done enough where there's you know there's people out there that you know you'll know, find it interesting and i and i do appreciate it 
Um, and the fact that you do like to talk about yourself definitely helps me because then I don't have to come up with more questions. Um, yeah, it's always nice. <laughs> it makes my life easier, and that's why, like I said, that's why you know my that's why I do this podcast is just to get uh, let people out there that um, you don't have that outlet to um, you know get noticed or whatever because you never know like you, know, you may get because of this you may get more people that wanting another run or, you know, to purchase the game or, um, you know, buy your books online. Um, there are, you know, they're all out there. You can definitely find them around. Um, so I would, I would definitely recommend everybody, you know, check, uh, you know, Mr. John Bean Haynes Hastings out. And, um, if you are interested in, uh, comics or games or books or, um, I mean, the heck Disney, I mean, you can definitely, uh, you know, track him down and, uh, you know, ask anything about Disney. I'm pretty sure he'll tell you. Because um, you are my go-to on Disney. So I am a huge Disney nerd. It's, I don't know how it... I think it's because of my love of the backstage feel of things. So yeah. I, I learned that all from that part. Um, just going to mention my Instagram is John Bean Hastings. J-O-N-O-H-B-E-A-N, as in skinny as a string bean back in the day. Uh, Hastings, H-A-S-T-I-N-G-S, John Bean Hastings. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of my art on that as compared to the website, which is basically about the card game that I made. Yes, of course. Uh, anything else you'd like to uh, plug? Uh, uh, split ways today? I think that covers it. I think the uh, Instagram and the website are the two ways you can see my stuff and contact me. Okay. Uh, so give it a look. Let me know what you think. If you want to buy a game? I will sign them to you. Throw in a sketch, because what the hell? Well, I mean, what else are you doing right now? <laughs> exactly. Like it when you listen.